Hello, everyone. This is Vartok once again for January 17th, 2021, with episode number 803 of the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. For today's guest podcast, I'm going to provide part two to the music of James Horner. If you recall two weeks ago, in episode number 801, I presented part one, taking you from James Horner's early life to his work on the 1995 film Apollo 13. James was so prolific in his career, cut short by a private airplane crash in 2015, that I chose to split this summary of his life work into two podcasts, rather than one very long podcast. So tighten your cockpit seatbelts and let's launch this episode. James Horner provided the score for yet a third hit film in 1995, with his score provided for the fantasy adventure film Jumanji, directed by Joe Johnston. It was loosely based on the 1981 children's book by Chris Van Allsburg and became the first installment of the Jumanji franchise. The film starred Robin Williams, Kirsten Dunst, and others. The story centers on a supernatural board game that releases jungle-based hazards upon its players with every turn they take. As a boy in 1969, Alan Parrish became trapped inside of the game itself while playing with his friend Sarah Whittle. Twenty-six years later, siblings... Judy and Peter Shepard find the game, begin playing, and then unwittingly release the now-adult Alan. After tracking down Sarah, the quartet resolved to finish the game in order to reverse all of the destruction it has caused. This was Horner's fourth collaboration with director Joe Johnston. Here is one of my favorite tracks, number nine, titled Stampede. Warner's next score for an animation film came next with Balto, a live-action animated adventure film directed by Simon Wells, produced by Amblin Entertainment, and distributed by Universal Pictures in 1995. The film is loosely based on a true story about the dog of the same name who helped save children infected with diphtheria in the 1925 serum run to Nome. The film stars Kevin Bacon as the voice of Balto. Bridget Fonda as Jenna, a Siberian Husky, Jim Cummings as Steel, the Alaskan Malmamute, Phil Collins in a dual role as Polar Bear's Muck and Luck, and Bob Hoskins as Boris Gusinov, a Russian snow goose. Balto was the third and final animated feature produced by Steven Spielberg's UK-based Amblimation Studio before it became DreamWorks Animation. Here is track number three, The Dog's Led Race. It's amazing. You can just imagine the dogs running, the challenges, and then the triumphant finish. Mm-hmm. 
Bypassing 1996, we come to 1997 and Horner's two Academy Awards, both for his music with the release of Titanic. This was his second film score collaboration with director James Cameron, who also co-produced and co-edited the film. Cameron's inspiration for the film came from his fascination with shipwrecks. He felt a love story interspersed with the human loss would be essential to convey the emotional impact of the 1912 disaster. Production began in 1995 when Cameron shot footage of the actual Titanic wreck on board the Russian research vessel Academic Mstislav Keldish, which Cameron used as a base of operation when filming the wreck. Titanic was the most expensive film ever made at the time, with a production budget of $200 million. Talk about big. Titanic achieved significant critical and commercial success. Nominated for 14 Academy Awards, it tied All About Eve from 1950 for the most Oscar nominations and won 11, including the awards for Best Picture and Best Director, tying Ben-Hur from 1959 for the most Oscars won by a single film. Titanic was the first film to reach a billion-dollar revenue mark and remained the highest-grossing film of all time until Cameron's Avatar surpassed it in 2010. A 3D version of Titanic released in April 2012, to commemorate the centennial of the sinking, earned it an additional $344 million worldwide, pushing the film's worldwide total to $2.18 billion and making it the second film to gross more than $2 billion worldwide after Avatar. To Horner's credit, his soundtrack for Titanic is the biggest-selling classical album of the last 25 years. According to the Ultimate Classic FM chart, Titanic, Music from the Motion Picture has sold more than 1 million copies in the UK alone, surpassing 30 million copies worldwide, and risen to the number one album in 20 countries as of 2017. Cameron had written Titanic while listening to the work of Irish New Age musician Enya. He offered Enya the chance to compose for the film, but she declined. Cameron instead chose James Horner to compose the film's score. The two had parted ways after a challenging work experience on Aliens, but Titanic cemented a successful collaboration that lasted until Horner's death. Besides his Academy Award for Best Original Dramatic Score, James also won a second Academy Award for Best Original Song for My Heart Will Go On. The song has a very interesting backstory. Horner wrote the song in secret with Will Jennings because Cameron did not want any songs with singing in the film. Celine Dion agreed to record a demo with the persuasion of her husband, René Angelil. Horner then waited until Cameron was in an appropriate mood before presenting him with the song. After playing it several times, Cameron declared his approval, although worried that he would be criticized for going commercial at the end of the movie. Cameron also wanted to appease anxious studio executives and saw the hit song from his movie could only be a positive factor in guaranteeing its completion. And, as they say, the rest is history. However, for now, I've chosen to play track number four, titled Rose which is the sentimental theme of the film associated with the romance between Jack, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Rose, played by Kate Winslet. While in a major key for the most parts, this leitmotif's rousing chorus modulates to the relative minor key. The theme features orchestral violins, strings, and piano. An electric choir intrudes at times. Norwegian soprano Cecil Karestebo performs the wordless vocals of this theme while Celine Dion is singing this leitmotif in lyrical form. This theme is first heard when Jack sees Rose for the first time on the deck. 
I'm pretty sure you'll remember this one. Of all the composers I have featured over the years on Treks and Sci-Fi, I don't think any of the others have come as close to James Horner for composing scores of sci-fi, fantasy, and adventure films, with perhaps the exception of Jerry Goldsmith. The case in point was James's next score for the 1998 science fiction disaster film Deep Impact. Steve Spielberg served as the executive director for this film, with a great cast starring Robert Duvall, Taya Leone, Elijah Wood, Vanessa Redgrave, Maximilian Schell, James Cromwell, John Favreau, and Morgan Freeman. The film was yet another great financial success. The story starts in May 1997 at a star party. Teenage amateur astronomer Leo Biederman discovers an unusual object. He sends a picture to astronomer Dr. Marcus Wolf, who realizes it's a comet on a collision course for Earth. A year later, the president announces that the comet Wolf-Biederman, named for its discoverers, is headed for Earth and could cause humanity's extinction. He reveals that the United States and Russia have been constructing the spacecraft Messiah in orbit, which will be used to transport a joint team to alter the comet's path with nuclear bombs. 
This desperate act fails and martial law is imposed. A lottery selects 800,000 Americans to join 200,000 pre-selected skilled or valued individuals in underground shelters. I won't give away the ending in case you want to watch it again. Here is the first part of track number two, Crucial Rendezvous, which James would say so perfectly provides the emotion to match the action on the screen. James's very next release score was for yet another well-received film, this time for the 1998 swashbuckler film The Mask of Zorro, based upon the character created by Johnson McCulley. It was directed by Martin Campbell and stars Antonio Bandera, Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Stuart Wilson. The film features the original Zorro, Don Diego de la Vega, played by Hopkins, who escaped from prison to find his long-lost daughter, Elena, played by the sultry Zeta-Jones, and then to avenge the death of his wife at the hands of a corrupt governor. He is aided by his successor, played by Banderas, who is pursuing his own vendetta against the governor's right-hand man, while falling in love with Elena. To prepare for his role, Banderas practiced with the Olympic fencing team in Spain for four months, before studying additional fencing and swordsmanship with Hopkins and Zeta-Jones. Despite being a Welsh actress portraying a Latina character, Zeta-Jones discovered similarities between her volatile Celtic temper and the Latin temperament of her character. Here is Zorro's theme, track number eight, which will again demonstrate Horner's ability to evoke the perfect sound and emotion.
Up next was Horner's score for the 1998 film Bicentennial Man, a science fiction comedy drama film starring Robin Williams as android servant Andrew Martin, Sam Neill as the patriarch of the Martin family, and Embeth Davitz as Little Miss Martin. The story was based on the 1992 novel The Positronic Man by Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberg. Based upon Asimov's original 1976 novelette, The Bicentennial Man. The plot explores the issues of humanity, slavery, prejudice, maturity, intellectual freedom, conformity, sex, love, mortality, and eternal life. The film was directed by Chris Columbus. The title comes from the main character existing to an age of 200 years, and Asimov's novelette was published in 1976, The Bicentennial of the United States. The film follows the life and times of the android, who is purchased as a household robot programmed to perform menial tasks. Within a few days, the Martin family realizes they don't have an ordinary droid as Andrew begins to experience emotions and creative thought. Andrew quickly becomes a part of the family, bonding mostly with the father, whom he calls Sir, and the youngest daughter, whom he calls Little Miss. In a story that spans two centuries, Andrew learns the intricacies of humanity while trying to stop those who created him from destroying him. Now, maybe I'm a sentimental sap, but this film and its score remain one of my all-time favorites. Unfortunately, the public didn't agree, and its revenue didn't cover its $100 million budget. The theme song of the film, which was written by James Horner and songwriter Will Jennings, and sung by Celine Dion, is track number 17. Here is a part of Then You Look At Me. See you. 
Jumping ahead to the year 2000, James was asked to provide a score to the biographical disaster adventure The Perfect Storm. The film tells the story of the Andrea Gale, a commercial fishing vessel that was lost at sea with all hands after being caught in the so-called perfect storm of 1991, which was associated with Hurricane Grace. The Andrea Gale was three days into their voyage home when the storm hit. The film stars George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, Diane Lane, John Hawks, William Fickner, Michael Ironside, John C. Riley, and Karen Allen. It was released by Warner Brothers and grossed $328 million worldwide, making it a box office success in spite of the ratings from critics. Some felt that Warner's score was too intrusive, which is always one of the risks a composer deals with when trying to satisfy all the parties involved with a film. Here's a part of the opening track number one, Coming Home from the Sea. You will hear a Life is Good and Normal beginning to become more exciting as the storm approaches.
James's next film score was for the perennial favorite 2000 live-action film, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, based upon the 1957 Dr. Seuss book of the same name. The film was directed by Ron Howard and starred Jim Carrey. Perhaps you watched it just over the holidays. Did you know that before his death in 1991, Dr. Theodore Seuss Geisel refused offers to sell the film rights to his books? Seven years later, in 1998, however, his widow Audrey Geisel's agents announced via letter that she would auction the film rights of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. In order to pitch their ideas, the suitors ultimately had to be willing to pay a minimum of $5 million for the material and hand over 4% of the box office gross, 50% of the merchandising revenue and music-related material, and 70% of the income from book tie-ins. The letter also stated that any actors submitted for The Grinch must be of comparable statures to Jack Nicholson, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, and Dustin Hoffman. Audrey drove a hard bargain. Universal Pictures won with their second pitch, and, well, they got Jim Carrey. Half of the soundtrack features a collection of popular music performed by several pop artists. Here is track number 17, Christmas, Why Can't I Find You, that just steals your heart, as sung in the film by seven-year-old Taylor Momsen. James's next Ron Howard association was for his 2001 film, A Beautiful Mind, the biographical drama film based upon the life of the American mathematician John Nash, a Nobel laureate in economics and able prize winner. The film was inspired by the best-selling Pulitzer Prize-nominated 1997 book of the same name by Sylvia Nasser. The film stars Russell Crowe, along with Ed Harris, Paul Bettany, Judd Hirsch, 
Jennifer Connolly, Anthony Rapp, and Christopher Plummer in supporting roles. The story begins in Nash's days as a graduate student at Princeton University. In 1953, Nash is invited to the Pentagon to crack encrypted enemy telecommunications, which he manages to decipher mentally. Bored with his regular duties at MIT, including teaching, he is recruited by the mysterious William Parcher of the U.S. Department of Defense with a classified assignment to look for hidden patterns in magazines and newspapers in order to thwart a Soviet plot. The film was a financial success, also winning four Academy Awards. Horner was nominated for Best Original Score, but did not win. Horner said he desired to feature vocals reminiscent of being midway between a girl and woman, and wrote the score specifically for 15-year-old Welsh singer Charlotte Church. To convey, quote, the beauty of mathematics, unquote, Horner decided to use the idea of a kaleidoscope, as its patterns are always changing and things move very quickly. But in moving so quickly, they create other patterns that move very slowly underneath. Some felt the score contained elements of Horner's previous 1992 film, Sneakers. And one critic noted, If you can forgive that, this is a clever, masterful, and romantic score that captures a brilliant mind in conflict. I've decided to play track number four, Creating Governing Dynamics, since it portrays the comments I just noted.
Aren't those great sparkling kaleidoscopic upper piano chords? Jumping ahead to 2003, a semi-biographical sports drama film, Radio, was released by Mike Tolan and inspired by the 1996 Sports Illustrated article by Gary Smith titled Someone to Lean On. The article and the movie are based on the true story of T.L. Hanna High School football coach Harold Jones, played by Ed Harris, and a mentally challenged young man, James Robert, a.k.a. Radio Kennedy, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. In the 1970s, James Robert Kennedy, a young 23-year-old mentally disabled man, lives alone with his mother, who, as a nurse, spends much of her day at work. Radio spends much of the day roaming the town and pushing a shopping cart, which he uses to collect anything interesting he finds. Radio often pauses to observe the local high school football team and their training sessions. Jones takes it upon himself to assist in radio's care and gives him his radio nickname due to his penchant for listening to the radio. Radio begins assisting Coach Jones on the football team and incites the team before each match as a mascot-type figure. Much of the soundtrack was given over to popular rock and roll songs, while Horner provided seven tracks. Given its lighter fare from other tracks, I have chosen to highlight for you track number 19 titled Night Game. It features some interesting sounds that I have never heard elsewhere. In a Horner score, see what you think.
Yes, that was a bit different. Also in 2003, the dark psychological drama film House of Sand and Fog was released, with James Horner getting a nomination for Best Original Score. Abandoned by her husband, recovering drug addict Kathy Niccolo, living alone in a small house near the San Francisco Bay Area, ignores eviction notices erroneously sent to her for non-payment of business taxes. Assuming the misunderstanding was cleared up, she is surprised when Sheriff Deputy Lester arrives to evict her. Telling Kathy that her home is to be auctioned off, the deputy feels sorry for her, helps her move out, and advises her to seek legal assistance to regain her house. Former Imperial Iranian Army Colonel Masoud Amir Barani, wonderfully played by Ben Kingsley, who fled his homeland with his family, now lives in the Bay Area working multiple menial jobs. He buys Kathy's house for a quarter of its actual value, intending to improve and sell it. Kathy is evicted from the motel she is staying in. With nowhere else to go, she spends the night in her car. Seeing the house renovations and how the Bahranis are settled in makes her determined to get her house back. If you like sad endings, this film is definitely for you. Horner stayed away from using a lot of brass in this film. Instead, there's an emphasis on the piano to drive the theme with strong melancholy support from strings and some synth and percussion accompaniment. Here is track number two, titled The Waves of the Caspian Sea, replete with lots of Horner's iconic crashing piano chords and struck tubular bells. But such a memorable tune, pure Horner.
Critics loved the film, and as I mentioned earlier, it garnered three Academy Award nominations. However, the film just redeemed its budget costs, making it financially unsuccessful. Moving ahead to 2004, the epic historical war film Troy was released, directed by Wolfgang Peterson. The film features an ensemble cast led by Brad Pitt, Eric Bana, and Orlando Bloom. It is loosely based on Homer's Iliad in its narration of the entire story of the decade-long Trojan War, condensed into a little more than a couple of weeks, rather than just the quarrel between Achilles and Agamemnon in the ninth year. Achilles leads his legendary Myrmidon warriors, along with the rest of the Greek army, invading the historical city of Troy, defended by Hector's Trojan army. The film was hugely successful, earning nearly $500 million, and yet only one Academy Award nomination. Composer Gabriel Yared originally worked on the score for Troy for over a year, having been hired by director Peterson. However, the reactions at test screenings, which use an incomplete version of the score, were negative, and in less than a day, Yared went off the project without a chance to fix or change his music. Ouch! In comes James Horner, who composed a replacement score in about four weeks. He continued Yared's female vocals by Tanya Karavska and included traditional Eastern Mediterranean music and brass instruments. Horner also collaborated with American singer-songwriter Joss Groban and lyricist Cynthia Wheel to write an original song for the film's end credits. The production of this collaboration, Remember, was performed by Groban with additional vocals by Karavska. Here's a part of the namesake track number two titled Troy, starting with a solo wind instrument and building to a large crescendo of trumpet and brass flares indicating the majesty of the city. This is the stuff of Hollywood, my friends.
During 2005, Horner provided another Zorro swashbuckler score for the sequel titled The Legend of Zorro, directed by Martin Campbell and written by two of our sci-fi favorites, Robert Orsi and Alex Kurtzman. Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones reprised their roles as the titular hero and now Zorro's spouse, Elena. Years have gone by, and now they have a son who aspires to be like his dad. Orchestrationally, Horner's score is a lot like the original score. Hard guitar strum, pipes, hand claps, foot stomps, and of course, a blaring trumpet. Since I played a romp for the first 1998 movie, I'm now going to play a quieter, more subdued, yet still beautiful track from the sequel. Track number four titled, This Is Who I Am. Of note in 2005, the American Film Institute unveiled their list of the top 25 American film scores. Five of Horner's scores were among 250 nominees, making him the most nominated composer not to make the top 25. Nominated were his film scores for Field of Dreams, Glory, Apollo 13, Braveheart, and Titanic. One of Horner's next assignments was to compose a theme song for CBS Evening News which was introduced during the debut of anchor Katie Couric on September 5, 2006. 
James wrote various treatments of the theme, explaining, One night the show might begin with the Iranians attaining a nuclear device, and another it might be something about a flower show. The tone needs to match the news. The theme ran from 2006 to 2011, apparently ending when Katie left the show. Here's at least one version of the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric theme. At this point in his career, James Horner was taking life, or should I say work, much easier, rather than composing five, six, seven, or even eight scores per year, as he did during the mid-1990s, he was now backing off to just one or two film scores per year. In 2006, he agreed to provide a score to director Stephen Zalian for All the King's Men, the political drama film based upon the 1946 Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name by Robert Penn Warren. All the King's Men had previously been adapted into a Best Picture Oscar-winning film by writer-director Robert Rosen in 1949. The film narrates the rise to power and dramatic demise of the ruthless Governor Willie Stark, played by Sean Penn, taking his office in the American South. The fictional character is loosely based on the life of Louisiana Governor Huey Long, in office between 1928 through 1932. Elected as a U.S. Senator, he was assassinated in 1935. The film co-stars Jude Law, Kate Winslet, Anthony Hopkins, James Galdolfini, Mark Ruffalo, Patricia Clarkson, and Jackie Earl Haley. This was Horner's second film score collaboration with Zalian, having previously composed the soundtrack for Searching for Bobby Fischer. As reviewer Dan Goldwasser notes at Soundtrack.net, quote, It seems to me there will always be controversy surrounding James Horner's music from accusations of self-plagiarism to direct quotes of classical pieces, there will always be people on one side tearing the man down for his music. On the other side, there will always be his steadfast supporters and fans, who will insist that it doesn't matter if the cue sounds familiar. If it works in the film, then it's served its purpose. Horner's best work come from the projects in which he is challenged, 
Zalian's needs for the score challenged Horner to come up with strong thematic material, without sounding like something he's done before. The result was a solid main theme, and other melodies representing the themes of power and corruption that flow through the film. A second plotline involves ex-reporter Jack Burden, played by Jude Law, and his unconsummated childhood love, played by Kate Winslet, which provides inspiration for a rather melancholy and achingly beautiful love theme. Even the most strident Horner critic will be hard-pressed to feel unmoved by Horner's efforts, unquote. I've chosen to play for you the second half of track number three. Give me a hammer and I'll nail him up. Thank you. 
Warner's second and last movie score released in 2006, and his third and last for Mel Gibson, was for the epic historical adventure film Apocalypto. The film features a cast of Native American and indigenous Mexicans. All of the ethnic tribes and peoples depicted in the film were Maya, as Gibson wanted to depict the Mayan city built for the story as an unknown world to the character. Similar to Gibson's earlier films, The Passion of Christ, all dialogue is in a modern approximation of the ancient language of the setting. Set in Yucatan, Mexico, around the year 1502, Apocalypto portrays the hero's journey of a young man named Jaguar Paw, a late Mesoamerican hunter who is captured by an invading force. After the devastation of his village, he is brought on a perilous journey to a Mayan city to be a human sacrifice at a time when the Maya civilization is in decline. Jaguar Paul escapes, and the film becomes a chase film. The film was a box office success, grossing over $120 million worldwide, and receiving mostly positive reviews, with critics praising Gibson's direction, Dean Semler's cinematography, and the performances of the cast. The music was composed by James Horner, and featured vocals by Pakistani singer Rahat Nusrat Fada Ali Khan, and English musician Terry Edwards. Straying away from his repertoire of orchestral music, Horner's mainly improvised Apocalypto soundtrack makes use of a large array of exotic instruments, such as the tromba marina, Swedish spark trumpets, Ugandan wildebeest horns, and synth pads. Here is track number 10, an elusive quarry, creating a rather unique sound palette that I feel successfully sets the score in the jungles of the Yucatan. Warner provided only a single score in 2007, which I'm going to pass over to get to his first score for 2008, which was for The Spiderwick Chronicles, a fantasy adventure film based on the book series of the same name by Holly Black and Tony DiTertoli. It was directed by Mark Waters and stars Freddie Highmore, Sarah Bolger, Mary Louise Parker, Martin Short, Nick Nolte, and Seth Rogen. The film takes place at the Spiderwick Estate in New England and follows three children who discover a field guide to fairies, all the while encountering various magical creatures such as goblins, ogres, brownies, bogarts, hobgoblins, trolls, and many others. 
When Jared explains his discovery of the book and the existence of magical creatures, his family doesn't believe him. But of course, that will change. Here is part of the closing credits, track number 15. Two films later, in 2009, James hooked up again for his third and last time with James Cameron for Avatar, his first feature film in 13 years since Titanic. The epic science fiction film was directed, written, produced, and co-edited by Cameron, starring Sam Worthington as Jake Scully, Zoe Saldana as Nichiri, Stephen Lang as Colonel Quaritch, Michelle Rodriguez as combat pilot Trudy Chacon, and our sci-fi favorite actress, Sigourney Weaver, as Dr. Grace Augustine. Set in 2154, humans have colonized space and have discovered a precious mineral, unobtainium, a room-temperature superconductor on the lush Pandora, which orbits a gas giant. Unfortunately, the native Navi, a 10-foot-tall, blue-skinned, sentient humanoid species indigenous to Pandora, aren't too thrilled with the mining operation and put up resistance. The film's title, Avatar, refers to a genetically engineered Navi body operated from the brain of a remotely located human that is used to physically interact with the natives of Pandora. Warner recorded parts of the score with a small chorus singing in the alien Navi language in March 2008. He also worked with Wanda Bryant, an ethnomusicologist, to create a music culture for the alien race. 
During production, Horner promised Cameron that he would not work on any other project except for Avatar, and reportedly worked on the score from 4 in the morning until 10 at night throughout the process. He stated in an interview, Avatar has been the most difficult film I have worked on and the biggest job I have ever undertaken. He composed the score as two different scores merged into one. He first created a score that reflected the Navi way of sound, and then combined it with a separate traditional score to drive the film. Here is one of my favorite tracks from Avatar, number four titled, The Bioluminescence of the Night. Avatar became the highest-grossing film, earning $2.79 billion for 10 years, before being surpassed by Avengers Endgame in 2019. Can't get enough of Avatar? Well, you can visit Pandora, the world of Avatar, which opened in May 2017 at the Walt Disney's Parks and Resorts. 
And the sequel, Avatar 2, is said to be 90% complete in its filming as of September 2020, with a release plan for December 2022. The year 2012 saw two Horner scores up on the big screen. The first was for his film, For Greater Glory, The True Story of Christiata. His second 2012 film score was For the Amazing Spider-Man, a superhero film based upon the Marvel Comics character Spider-Man, and sharing the title of the character's longest-running comic book series of the same name. It was the fourth theatrical Spider-Man film produced by Columbia Pictures and Marvel Entertainment. A reboot of the series follows Sam Raimi's 2002-2007 Spider-Man trilogy, and the first of the two Amazing Spider-Man films. The film was directed by Mark Webb and stars Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, Emma Stone as love interest Gwen Stacy, and others. The film was a huge success, earning $758 million, with generally favorable reviews. After Peter Parker is bitten by a genetically altered spider, he gains newfound spider-like powers and ventures out to save the city from the evil of a mysterious reptilian foe called the Lizard. Because I know you wanted to hear it, Rico, here is the second half to track number 20, Spider-Man End Titles. Director Webb, no pun intended, described Horner's first musical cue as spectacular, 
Webb said, I wanted to create a score that felt massive and huge, but also intimate and small. Critic Christian Clemenson felt that Horner's mix of the electronic elements into the major ensemble cues is tastefully handled in this score. As it turns out, this was also the final American film to be scored by James Horner to be released during his lifetime, three years before his death. For reasons I haven't been able to determine, James Horner, at this point in his career, took a couple of years off from film scoring. One explanation could be how difficult it was to complete the score for The Amazing Spider-Man for director Webb. Or he may have used the time to compose music for himself, since in 2014 he premiered his double concerto titled Pas de Deux for violin, cello, and orchestra in Liverpool. And in March of 2015, he unveiled his concerto titled Collage for Four Horns, premiered at the South Bank in London. James owned and flew several private airplanes. In 2015, National Geographic created a 47-minute video titled Living in the Age of Airplanes, detailing the history of air flight and narrated by Harrison Ford, another personal airplane aficionado. The video embarks on a journey across 18 countries and seven continents, exploring the ways in which the world has changed as transportation has evolved, especially in the years since airplanes were invented. From increased cultural exchange to the rapid globalization of trade and migration, aviation has changed the way humans interact with one another and the planet. Warner provided an 18-track score covering diverse topics from the world before the airplane to the golden age is now. I've chosen to play now part of track number 12, Exponential Progress.
How strange is it then that the very last album released for purchase with music by James Horner would be about airplanes, and he ultimately died flying one? At the time of his death, Horner had scored two films yet to be released. The first to be released posthumously was First Southpaw, a sports boxing drama directed by Antoine Fuqua, starring Jake Gyllenhaal as Billy the Great Hope and Rachel McAdams as his wife Maureen. The film follows a boxer who sets out to get his life back on track after losing his wife in an accident and then losing his young daughter to protective services. Horner wrote the score for free due to his love for the film. Track number 14, A Quiet Moment, plays at the end, practically in reference to the loss of James Horner. The album was dedicated to him. The other known score that was complete at the time of his death was for the 2015 biographical disaster survival drama film The 33, directed by Patricia Riggin and starring Antonio Banderas as trap miner Mario Sepulveda. The film is based on the real events of the 2010 mining disaster in which a group of 33 miners were trapped inside the San Jose mine in Chile for 69 days. The owner ignores the warnings of the failing stability of the mine, which collapses a short time later. The only path inside the mine is completely blocked, and the 33 miners manage to get to the rescue chamber. They discover that the radio is useless. The medical kit is empty. The ventilation shaft lacked the required ladders, and there is very little stored food. Mario becomes the leader of the miners, dividing the food rations and stopping the outburst of violence and despair. The final track to the album, number 19, is titled Hope is Love, and is a lovely guitar ballad that again kind of mirrors the loss of a great composer.
But lo, in July 2015, a month after his death, it was discovered Horner had also written the score for the 2016 remake of The Magnificent Seven, planning it as a surprise. The Western action film was directed by Antoine Fuqua and was a remake of the 1960 film of the same name, which was also a remake of the 1954 film Seven Samurai. The 2015 film starred Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio, Lee Byung Hun, Manuel Garcia Rufo, and Martin Sensmeyer as the Magnificent Seven. Horner's friend and composer Simon Franklin, who collaborated with Horner on a number of his big film scores, completed the music. For good measure, the score also included an incorporation of Elmer Bernstein's theme from the 1960 film. Here is the final Horner Fraglin's track I will play for you before wrapping up this podcast. Number 25, titled Seven Writers.
James Horner died on June 22, 2015, when an S-312 Tucano turboprop two-seater trainer aircraft crashed into the Los Padres National Forest near Ventucopa, California. Horner was the sole occupant of the aircraft. Three days later, the Ventura County Medical Examiner's Office ruled the crash an accident. He was survived by his wife, Sarah Elizabeth Horner, and two daughters. Contemporaries and collaborators around the world paid their respects to Horner, including composers Hans Zimmer, John Williams, Paul Williams, and Alan Menken. Horner was reported to have been committed to the Avatar franchise. Cameron said he and Horner, quote, were looking forward to our next gig, unquote. Many celebrities, including Russell Crowe, Diane Warren, and Celine Dion, also gave their condolences. The post-accident investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board revealed that the leading cause of the accident was Horner's inability to maintain clearance from terrain during low-level air work. FAA radar data showed that the plane had made multiple low-altitude turns and performed rapid-altitude change maneuvers, flying low through Quetal Canyon and skimming mountain ridgelines by less than 100 feet. In addition to Horner's failing to maintain clearance, the NTSB determined that there were other key factors that led to the accident. Foremost among these was Horner's use of prescription medications for pain relief and headaches. Well, that's it for this Music and Sci-Fi Guest podcast. I can only hope that I've given you a reasonably complete retrospective on composer James Horner. He said his philosophy in film scoring was to ask the question, what is the heart of the film? And then I try and nail that. He contributed musical scores for seven films that were nominated for Best Picture Oscar, The Dresser, Field of Dreams, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Titanic, A Beautiful Mind, and Avatar. Of those, Braveheart, Titanic, and A Beautiful Mind were winners in the category, with Horner winning two Oscars for score and original song for Titanic. Certainly, his music is some of the best Hollywood has ever known. I am mentioning again that much of the soundtracks included in this two-part podcast can be found at iTunes. I will end this guest podcast with his Academy Award for Best Song, with Jackie Ivanko's rendition of My Heart Will Go On, accompanied by violinist Joshua Bell. And here's to a better 2021.
动。